Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. I feel special in my beige blazer, Tony. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Don't feel that special, big boy. Don't. Really? Why not? Yours is nice. Yours is nice. I'm wearing mine. peach. You're wearing notch. I have. I'm wearing linen. With That's wrinkles. I don't like that. But I. Then why are you wearing it? I'm just going to take a guess here that mine is two thousand dollars less expensive than yours. Maybe three. No, three thousand dollars. Whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Welcome to PTI, boys and girls. In today's episode, Mike Conley has a new team. Coach K gives rare praise to Zion Williamson, and Julie Fowdy joins us from France for five good minutes. Great. But we begin today with additional reporting that Chris Paul and James Harden hate each other. This comes from Yahoo, which also <laughs> states their relationship has been termed, quote, unsalvageable. Any goodwill report. Houston GM Daryl Morey, your boy, yep. denies such a rift between the players and denies the assertion that Paul has asked to be traded. Will Bond, which side do you believe? Well, Tony, I, I did some reporting on my own. I talked to Vinnie Goodwill, who stands by his story. And I talked to Daryl Morey a couple of minutes ago. And he says he's trying aggressively, as always, by the way, to build around these two guys. These two guys would be James and Chris. So apparently he is not on the phone trying to trade actively either one of them or there are no takers, okay? They're, they're going to be in Houston, and they got to work this out. So here's what I believe. I believe that James and Chris, with Mike D'Antoni, had better get in a room or on a small boat off the coast of whatever in Texas, and they got to work this out because they're going to be together next year. If you'd like to throw some more oil on the fire, the Houston Chronicle is reporting that they're going after Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler laid waste to Minnesota. Jimmy <laughs> Butler is a fine, fine player. Yes, he is. But Jimmy Butler is a volatile player and not the easiest person for teammates to get along with. I, year after year, Mike, we find that somebody, if not everybody, can't stand playing with Chris Paul. I don't think you can think trade Chris Paul. I don't think you can trade him because his contract is is so high. Okay. I would think you would have a better chance trading James Harden, but I don't know why you'd want to trade James Tony, Harden. Tony, you and I grew up in an environment with the Washington Bullets team that went to three NBA Finals, won one, and Elvin Hayes and Wes Unsell, two Hall of Famers and two of the great players of all time. Did not get How often were they on the same page? You know the difference? What did you say? They went to three championships and they won one. They did. Houston can't get past I know, but Golden State. How big a year is this year for that team, given that the the Warriors are in a red shirt mode this year? Okay, but other teams in the West are getting better are. around them. They so, are. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm looking at this. James Harden is an MVP. Yep. Chris Paul is not an MVP. If I wanted to get rid of one or the other, and you may be right, they won't, I would try to move Chris Paul okay. if that was doable. But I would try. It, it sounds to me... Like they're all going to be together. Maybe. And Tony. You know where Chris Paul should be? Where? He should have been there a long time the ago. Lakers. Should have been there a long time I, ago. We agree. Should have been there you now. You and I agree at this. Should be should there now. Should never have been denied That's the opportunity right. to play with the Lakers. Should have been. And by the way, should be there now with LeBron James. Who would be better for LeBron and, 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 and Anthony Davis than Chris Paul? I can think of people who would be almost as good, but he'd be great. He would be. Yeah. So make that happen, will you? <laughs> what, what do you think? Yeah, make I'm, that happen if you could. I'm controlling the trade strings. I'm not. We got a news bonanza today, Tony, involving big NBA names on the move. Mike Conley has been traded from Memphis to Utah. Al Horford isn't just opting out of his final year. He's opting out of Boston and looking for a new team. And perhaps more surprising is Chris Middleton opting out of his final year in Milwaukee to explore his options. Tony, let's get right to it. Which of these is the biggest story to you? Well, first of all, I would have to ask, 
Why would Chris Middleton be doing this? That is a team, the Milwaukee Bucks, that appears to be on the verge of winning a title. So maybe you can tell me about that. But to get to the actual question, Al Horford is a guy who makes a good team better. He's a veteran. He's unselfish. He's been around a long time. Everybody's better with him. But Mike Conley is a guy who could make a good team great. Mike Conley, to me, is the most underappreciated guy in the NBA for a few years now. So to me, the real big deal is Mike Conley. Yeah, I mean, Horford is sort of a wow because what happened to Boston from a year and a half ago? I mean, you oh, know, yeah. Kyrie comes back, Decimated. Gordon Hayward comes back, Decimated. and they're not as good. And I'm blaming Kyrie more than anybody right. on that because right. the, the, their record with versus without is stunning. So, so Horford leaving, just they, they're scrambling. But I'm going to go with you on Mike Conley. Tony, going to that Utah team. That's a playoff team now. Oh, my goodness. They got Look players. Now. And he's the guy with the key. He knows how to drive. And he's had not much in Memphis for most of his career. Oh, it's tough But he's in got something now so in Utah. So what, what that indicates clearly is that Memphis will take John Morant with yes. the second pick. And, and give him and, the ball. So, right, and, and they're the clearing out Conley. And right. they're bringing in uh, Grayson Allen and Jay Crowder and, they got somebody, a couple and, and shooters. Kyle Korver, Kyle Korver. who can still shoot, but he's 38 years old. Right. To, to me, let's get back on the topic of the Lakers for a second, because Ricky Rubio is now he's available. free to go free. where he wants That's to go. Right. And if you can't get Chris Paul in the Lakers, Ricky Rubio is a pass-first point guard, and they've got LeBron James and Anthony, Anthony Davis. Davis. And Kuzma. Right, right. He knows how to find people, but let me. This hurts the Rockets even more to me. Oh, because the Laker ascension will knock off and, the Rockets. And Utah just I got a lot know. better. Tony, the Rockets, they have incentive now to get this together now with the guys they got on that team that came a Chris Paul hammy injury that, two right. years ago wait, from getting to the wait, finals. Wait, wait, because I, I want to make sure I hear correctly. What? You mean the guys from the first segment who hate each other and unsalvageable? Uh, Ted Leonsis. The owner of the Moribund Washington Wizards released a statement to the Washington Post in which he said, among other things, that he had no interest in Toronto GM Masai Ujiri. Leonsis further said the Wizards will not hire a GM before Thursday's draft or the start of free agency. They're going to stick with what they've got. Well, Bob, do you believe Leonsis on Ujiri, and do you like his plan for the draft and free agency? Well, the plan revolves around Tommy Shepard, who's been an assistant here for a long time. Who has not been like given a, the official job. Not, no, he's interim, I guess. But going back to Ujiri, Tony, yes, the Wizards had some interest some weeks ago in Ujiri. Of course they the did. The Washington Post Anybody reported would. two weeks Anybody. ago okay. that they were looking at him. I don't want to get hung up on this because I told you then that Masai Ujiri wasn't leaving Toronto to go to Washington. I told you that. I never thought that was going to happen. If Ted wanted that and tried for it and had that ambition, good for Ted. He says he doesn't. Okay, because it wasn't going to happen anyway. So now they can focus on something more realistic, like Tommy Shepard and the staff there now. They could have focused on him three weeks. They fired Ernie Grunfeld with how many weeks to go in the season? A couple, right? More than a couple. Tell me you're not surprised they don't have a GM in place. They they, they think they do. Well, then hand them the job. You know what? And I've been talking to people in and around Washington, D.C. for the last couple of days. And nobody believes it's Ted's style to go out and pay the kind of money that was okay. and reported to, to, to lure Maasai. And I agree with that. That isn't there. There's nothing about Ted Leonsis or the Washington Wizards historically or even the Washington Bullets that would suggest such a bold I'm going to add two and two and I'm going to get four. And I'm going to suggest to you that the reason they don't have a GM right now is because they were waiting for the end of the playoffs to to see if something could happen. And I'm going to read part of the statement from Ted Leonsis because I love this. Okay. 
This is a quote. We will likely use many hands make light work as a mantra as we seek to establish a new organizational construct. What does that mean? I have no idea. I have absolutely that's no idea. That's the kind of speak, that's billionaire speak. What, what is that? And they can talk that's... about that. And it's the, it, no. poorer people would say it was singing Kumbaya. To... I think, but... I think that they need, I think they're going into the draft and free agency without someone that, that they trust enough to name him the GM. But they, is you... that not troubling? Tony, no. Because whether you name him or not, you're employing him as that. Tommy Shepard's got to lead this, apparently, lead the effort for the Wizards. Who cares what you call him? He's doing the work. Give him the He's job. He's got to do the draft if, and sign the free agents. If you're going to do the job, right? get the job. He seems to have it, doesn't he? No, no. Who's got it? He's not being named Who's it. got it? No, nope, at the it? moment, nobody has it. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> We're a little more than 24 hours from the draft. And just in case Zion Williamson needed a little reassuring He's getting it from his one coach of one year, Mike Krzyzewski in Durham. Coach K told Pete Thamel of Yahoo, quote, he may be an all-star right away. There's no ceiling, really. He doesn't have a weakness. He's a gift from God, close quote. Tony, is it possible for Coach K's words to boost Zion stock any higher, or is this just a lovely parting gift from the ultimate admirer? So if John Calipari had said these words... I would sit here and I would say he's trying to pump his guy up. He's trying to maybe make an impact on the draft and take a guy, say, from six to three. Well, this is not happening with but this guy. But in this case, this guy's already number one. one. So you don't have to do that. And this is Mike Krzyzewski talking about a player in terms I've never heard him say before. And it's Mike Krzyzewski talking about a potential pro. Mike Krzyzewski, who has coached three Olympic teams to three gold medals. He's coached the Best of the pros. LeBron, so, Kobe. So if he's, he's coast, saying he's this, all of them. If he's saying this, it's very meaningful, I think. I think he's saying this guy could be an all-timer. Is he not saying that? This is what he feels. A he gift feels, from God? He, what? Well, he said close to these things about Grant Hill and Christian Leitner. Close. Not, not quite... Not quite as effusive. He knew Christian Leitner was not going to be but the overall number one. He was overall number year. two, wasn't he? Or two three, or three, three. But he's not one. Okay, but the point is he... And he's had ones. Mike Krzyzewski spends the kind of time with college players, even in one year, that pro coaches don't get to spend. He spends it personally with them across the campus and all the time at the training tables and all of that. The pro coaches don't have. He loves Zion, just like he loved all the kids before him. And he's oh, he saying loves this what more. I expect he loves Zion him to say. More. Now, is he going to boost his stock? No. no. His stock is already yeah, as high as it can go. It. Right, right. Can I ask the Can I ask the, the little quiet question here? What? They were saying how much we love Mike Shashevsky. What? Why didn't they win the national championship? Come on. I that's mean, not that's not fair. That's I didn't. I, got, I didn't ever expect them to win a national championship because they because your Big Ten the team you thought would be player. Beat them. The best player doesn't necessarily win in college. I understand, but they don't necessarily get to the final four. They're going to get one and three in the draft, and I wonder if they're. Dis- I bet they are disappointed not winning. I bet they are. One and three in the Barrett. Oh, okay, yeah. Barrett, Barrett, yeah, yeah. the Knicks. Let's take a break. Happening. Coming up, I think tomorrow's game against Sweden is the one the USA needs to win, and we will ask Julie Foudy if she agrees. And later, what was with that Instagram post from Brett Favre saying he's making a comeback? By the way, don't call it a comeback. Ted Leonsis should want Ujiri. Yeah. Anybody should want yeah. The moves he made this year to win, anybody should want him. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. 
Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Big, big, big game for Team USA in the World Cup tomorrow. And not only are we bringing in Julie Foudy to talk about it, we're bringing her in from France. Not that. We welcome Julie to the program, and we start with this. I call tomorrow's game against Sweden a statement game. Both teams are into the next round. So how important do you think it is for the United States to beat Sweden? Well, here's the thing, Tony. Remember... Even though the United States are World Cup champions in 2015 and 2016, they got knocked out of the Olympics and by Sweden in the quarterfinal. It's the earliest the U.S. has ever gone out, and they've been holding on to that for three years. So they may say, yes, we don't need this game, and yes, a win or draw gets us through top of the group, but this is definitely, to your point, a statement game for them because they have had really a warm-up. This is when the World Cup starts, and this is when they're going to want to say, here's what this new team is all about. Well, Julie, following up on that, why is specifically Sweden such a tough matchup for the U.S. in recent years? They are organized, Michael. They stay compact. They're good defensively. And the U.S. team of old, I would argue, was not great at breaking down compact, organized defenses. And that actually was the lesson they learned from the 2016 Olympics is they need more creative players. That's what the United States was thinking. And so they brought in Rose Lavelle, Lindsey Horan, Mallory Pugh, some young midfielders with with some pace and with some technical abilities that are more creative. And this team has been transformed by that group because of that, because of that loss, really, to Sweden. All right, uh, Julie, the, the new goalkeeper, because all of us remember Hope Solo and people like that, Alyssa Nayer, has only needed to make Three routine saves in two full games. Is this lack of workload something to be concerned about? It's a good question, actually. Um, you know, the thing, too, with Alyssa Nair is she has never played in a World Cup before this one. She's been on a World Cup team before, but to your point, Tony, she, she played behind Hope Solo, and so she had she has big shoes to fill. Um, and I do think it would have been nice to get her a little bit more tested, but we've been watching training, and I can tell you the keepers, they have been running them like it's fitness and hitting balls at them, and that's because she's just not getting that in real games. So... Um, it's the one question mark on this national team, on this U.S. team right now, is that goalkeeping position. It would have been nice if she got challenged a little more in those first two games, for sure. Uh, Will Bond and I used uh, learned a new word yesterday, VAR. We don't exactly know what it stands for. But <laughs> Video there's a lot of assisted refereeing. Come on now. There's been a lot of controversy about the use of the VAR, especially in France's win over Nigeria. How do players feel about this eye in the sky that is consulted so often? Oh, man. I know that Nigeria game. I, you know, th- the thing is, <laughs> the, a little bit of backstory to it is they had it in Russia for the men for the first time. And then FIFA said, oh, we're probably not going to bring it in for the women's. And 
a lot of players and a lot of women were like, wait, what? You've got to bring it to the Women's World Cup if you had it for the men, especially because the women's refereeing is so inconsistent. Um, and now I think a lot of players are like, maybe we don't need it after all. <laughs> what is this equality thing? We don't need it after all. Uh, so I think uh, it has been a bit of a nuisance. I'm not going to lie. And it, and it seems like compared to Russia, where they used it at – you know, the appropriate times, some would argue too much, but not this much. This is a lot. It seems like every play is getting reviewed and looked at and for the, the, the smallest little thing. So I have not been a huge fan, and I know a lot of players haven't been of VAR here at the World Cup in France. All right, Julie, you know we can't have you without talking a little bit about celebrations. And my take on celebrations is you can do them, <laughs> but you better back them up. And I'm wondering if this team, like many, many others, if you celebrate on an international stage, do you put added pressure on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, you do. And especially when it's done at 13 goals, which is part of the problem. I don't mind celebrations, and I've, I've been saying this all tournament. I'm all for celebrating. But at 13 goals to do a choreographed sideline dance, I mean, that's something teams point to and go, oh, interesting. That seems a little overconfident. Uh, I remember when we lost to Norway in the 1995 World Cup, and they did this little centipede crawl along the sideline. We talked about that every day for about the next 30 years. We're still talking about it, essentially. So you don't forget that stuff. I'll get you out of here on this. You were on the field for Brandy Chastain's famous celebration. The that greatest, may be the, the most famous celebration cool. by a woman athlete in any sport at any time when you won the, you won the cup in, in L.A. in 1999. Can you explain the importance of those celebrations mm -hmm. to players? And do you see any distinction between that one and, and what happened, for example, against Thailand? Well, that one, I mean, mind you, she gets naked and that is always received well. But that <laughs> one, she actually was winning a World Cup. World Cup final, the last penalty kick, right? If you don't celebrate, something's wrong with you. Um, and so I think it's the context of where it happens in the game, when it happens in the game, how many goals there are. I think that's the discussion that gets lost in some of the layers and nuances that gets lost in all of this. But I'm all for celebrating. It's just when and where and how much. Um, and Brandy's. I mean, that, that's an iconic one that I would never uh, wish to be tempered down by anyone. Thank you so, so much for being Thank with you, us, Julie. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Let's take one last break, but still to come, Max Scherzer, my boy, broke his nose what yesterday. Happened? So should he really be pitching tonight with a lot of gauze, I hope? And should we be paying more attention to what Charlie Blackman is doing again this season? He's, yeah. He's a big time. Yeah. He's a big time hitter. You see the Peugeots behind Julie? You know... You're not in Dallas in that picture. Oh, I understand. Right? But it says pharmacy so also. Cool. It just doesn't it's say. Happy time, people. Happy 31st birthday, Jacob deGrom. The reigning Saw Young winner in the National League got the win last night for the Mets by pitching eight and a third innings and striking out ten Braves. That made deGrom's record four and six. He didn't get the Saw Young for his win total last year, which was only ten. He got the Saw Young for a 1.70 ERA through 217 innings. This year, DeGrom's ERA is 3-2-6, which is not Cy Young territory. Anytime we bring up DeGrom on this show, I get in trouble. Because it's not enough to say he's great. You have to say he's the greatest thing of all time. Or everybody in New York comes raining down on you, they should know, I don't care. Happy anniversary, Jackie Bradley Jr. On this day last year, the Red Sox outfielder 
Uncorked the throw, clocked at 103 miles an hour from left center field to nail a Twins base runner at home. Bradley Jr. was at it again last night against the Twins, making another eye-popping catch before landing both feet on the outfield wall. Wilbon, this kid is a great fielder. He's up to 302 last month hitting two, but it's the fielding. Tony, I'm going to ask you something. Is he in Willie Mays Stop, territory? stop, no, don't. Huh? Territory! No, huh? no, thank you, no. No, don't. <laughs> Sacrilege. Happy trails to Max Scherzer's nose. The Nationals ace broke his nose last oh, night while taking batting video practice of it. and attempting to bunt. Scherzer was scheduled oh. to pitch tonight's game against the Phillies. My position is that Scherzer is not Zdeno Chara and does not have to pitch 24 hours after breaking his face. Put him out there. But Scherzer is the toughest guy on the Nats, and manager Davey Martinez expects him to start. As a side meteorological note, the Nats are looking at the possibility of a rainout for the third straight night. Okay, that's great. Is it possible Jackie Bradley Jr. is in Ken Griffey Jr. territory? As long as you don't say Willie Mays. Wait, at some point, Mays has got to come into the conversation. One clarification, Christian Leitner went number three overall, and let us go to the big finish. Craig Kimbrell made his AAA Cubs debut with an eight-pitch, one-two-three inning yesterday. We need him now. We need him. Edwin Encarnacion hit a home run last night for the Yanks. Your thoughts? You said that Stanton would hit one 236 feet. This one went deep. This was it. Charlie Blackman has three hits or more in five straight games. That is a big deal. There's only nine guys who've ever done it, and the guys are unbelievable, including, like, Ty Cobb and Rod Carew. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Phil Mickelson says he is probably, he has to come to the realization that he won't win a U.S. Open. Isn't that sad to hear? We really like Phil a lot. He's thrown away a few by going for the gold Wait, on certain he, shots. Go for it. Wish he would win one. I Phil, think he's right. On, one more Last shot. one, a post on Brett Favre's Instagram account said he was coming back, but he says he was hacked. What do you believe? He's 49 years old. <laughs> he can come back for more commercials. He's not playing in the NFL again. Sorry. Okay. We're out of time. Brady We're trying to do better the next time. I'm Tony Kornheim. I'm Mike Wilbon. Same time tomorrow, Knuckleheads. You can get the podcast on the app or Apple Podcasts. So to Jamie, Julian, and Robert Berg, congratulations. What they do? Chatter. They got married today at the restaurant. At Chatter? Yeah, they got what? married. What?